Well, this week, we want to talk about crazy behaviors in love. Because as most of you know, Friday was Valentine's Day. If that was a shock to you when you heard that, now you know why she's not been speaking to you for the past couple of days. <laughs> Nicole and I were at a marriage conference, and uh, the speaker, he was saying that he and his wife had been married for six years when it happened. And the it he was referring to was this huge argument they had gotten into. And it transformed their whole relationship. And so as he was talking about it, he said, the Bible says that love keeps no record of wrong. <laughs> That'd be cool. <laughs> he said, the fact was we had a record of wrongs that spanned about six years at that time. And so here's what we know. Love is a powerful emotion. Love will make us do things we never thought we would do. It will make us go places and move places and say things that we never thought we would go and do and say. And so love is powerful. And it will make us do some crazy things. So I want to ask you a question this morning. I need your help for a little survey. How many of you, by raising your hands, know someone who has ever done something crazy in the name of love? All right, just about all of you. Now, let me ask the follow-up question to that. How many of you have ever done something crazy in the name of love? Yeah, okay, I think most of us have. I remember when uh, Nicole and I were just starting to date and we were kind of getting serious, I would do things all the time that I couldn't believe. I was like, man, what? I must really love this girl. I would drive 25 minutes from where I live to where she lived, not to see her, but sometimes I would drive just to go put a note or some flowers or something in her car so she would find it. I remember when we were dating, I would call her and we would talk, and we would talk until the wee hours of the morning. Go to sleep for a couple hours, wake up, be so tired at work, drinking energy drinks, just dog tired, hoping that I could get through the day. And then do you know what I'd do that night? Do it again. Probably the craziest thing I've ever done, though, is when Nicole and I, we used to work together at a children's home. Um, and I was the activities director, and she was the choir director. And so the choir would go out from on weekends, and they would sing at different churches, and they would raise awareness about the children's home, and uh, our boss would go and speak, and they would try to raise funds for the children's home, and that kind of thing. Well, there was coming up a trip that they had to Virginia, and it was about a three-and-a-half-hour drive, and they decided late in that week that they wanted to make it a two-day trip. They wanted to spend the night, uh, that night, do an overnight trip. I had that weekend off. And if you've ever worked at a nonprofit, you know that, you know, you kind of always wish you had more staff. And especially there, days off were hard to come by. And so I was thinking, oh, my goodness, I don't know. And she had kind of told me that they were thinking that they needed another male chaperone and that I should come. And I just kind of avoided it. The boss calls me in his office. He says, Andrew, we'd love for you to come. You'll get to spend some time with Nicole. All right. So here I go, off to Virginia. Long story short, 
that evening, Saturday evening, we've gone, done activities with the host church. We've had lunch and dinner, and they've done all sorts of things for the kids. I'm as mad as I can be that evening. I hadn't spent not one minute with her. So that whole evening, I'm thinking, man, I, I could have been doing this, and I could have been with my friends, and I had all this stuff planned out. And so the church had put us up at a campground in this dormitory, and it was in an L shape, and this was the girls' hallway, and this was the guys' hallway, and I made it up in my mind. I'm going to talk to her. We're going to spend some time together before this day is over. I, I gave up my weekend off for this. So I kind of wait right there in the L, kind of keeping an eye on my boys, but also kind of keeping an eye, see if Nicole pops out so I can snag her. Well, she does, and she goes right downstairs, and I can tell she's headed to the van. So I look around, and I follow her. We go to the van. We probably spent, it wasn't maybe five minutes. seemed like five seconds. Now they're talking. I'm like, oh, man, it is so good to see you, so good to be around you. Well, before we left, she said, okay, I think we need to get back in there. I said, you're right. Hey, come around the edge of this van. Let me give you uh, a little smooch. Guys, don't look so holy. I know. <laughs> so we came around the edge of the van. I'm not kidding you. Couldn't make this up. As soon as we got around the edge of the van, hear the door to the dormitory close, open and close. So I pop around. Sure enough, there is our boss. I just want to say it is amazing what kids can do when they're unattended for five minutes. I could have been fired that night. We both could have because we left our responsibility. We weren't watching the kids, but luckily, thank goodness, he just gave us a stern talking to and let us keep going. But we had done that crazy behavior, and I would bet if we were to open up the floor and ask you guys what some of the crazy things you've done, I bet you've got a story that puts that one to shame. Because love, as I've already said, will make you do some crazy things. So we can't talk about all of them. There's no way. We don't have enough time. So what we've done is this morning we're going to talk about what I believe are the top two crazy behaviors that we uh, do in love. So right around you, somewhere close to you, you should have notes. I would just encourage you to take notes, not because I'm such a great speaker, but because undoubtedly, if you don't take notes a week or two weeks or a couple months from now, somebody will be going through something, your niece or somebody, and you'll think, oh man, what did that guy say that day? So I would just encourage you to take notes. Number one, crazy people listen to their heart. Crazy people listen to their heart. Now, I would just like to say, during first service, I sang a little bit of that song, and nobody joined me, so I'm not going to do that again. Here's what I know about listening to your heart. It sounds noble, and it sounds romantic, and we think, oh, man, I wish my person would listen to their heart. That would be awesome. But let me explain to you why that is actually not the wisest thing to do. When we hear heart in the Bible, we know that it's not referring to that organ in our chest that pumps blood. 
So what is it talking about? In Vine's complete expository dictionary, heart, and they're putting it on the screen now, is the core of our being. It is the seat of desire, inclination, or emotions. The Word has come to stand for man's entire mental and moral activity, both the rational and the emotional elements. Our heart is so closely tied with our emotions that it can't be trusted. It cannot be trusted because we see how fickle emotions are. All we have to do is look at Hollywood. I think about, I'm getting ready to say this name, and I got a big reaction during first service, Justin Bieber. Yeah, crazy, <laughs> exactly. Justin Bieber, every day he wakes up and he follows his heart. He does whatever he wants to do. If he wants to try something, he tries it. The mantra of Hollywood is, if it feels good, do it. If I want to try it, I try it. If I want to go there, I go there. If I want to do something different, and what happens? Every week we turn on the nightly news and we see that Justin Bieber's in trouble. He's egged somebody's house or he's gotten a DUI. Because following our heart is tricky. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 26 says, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Look at that. The first week of this series, Pastor Farrell talked about that there are three kinds of people in the Bible. There's the wise, there's the foolish, and then there's the evil. And we see here that he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. So, how do we become wise? The word here is whoso walketh wisely. In other words, he who has ordered his steps. The person who has a plan. The person who has a purpose. Now, we know that. When we look at others, we think when we see decisions that other people have made in the height of emotion. And often... Those decisions that were made when the emotions were running so high, they feel like huge mistakes days and weeks and months later. I think about Cain in the Bible. Cain and Abel were brothers, and they both offered a sacrifice to God. And what happened is, the Bible says that God accepted Abel's sacrifice. That Abel gave the best of what he had. And so God looked at Abel's sacrifice and he accepted it. But then Cain didn't do that. Cain gave just some of what he had. He didn't give the best. And the Bible says that God rejected Cain's offering. And so in that moment, when the rejection was fresh in Cain's face, he looked at his brother and his anger burned bright. And he went and he killed his brother. He killed him. In the height of emotion, he made a decision that would forever change his life. Now, you're saying, well, Pastor Andrew, but today we're talking about love. So let's look at somebody in the Bible who made a decision based on love. David and Bathsheba. David was a king. He was at his home one day. He looks out into the kingdom, 
And there is this beautiful woman. And in the height of lust, in the emotion of that moment, when he saw that beautiful woman, he tells his servants, he makes a decision. He says, go get her for me. And he ruins his life. From that moment on, strife came into his house. Suffering and pain. Because what feels like a good decision in the heat of the moment when emotions are running high often feels like a huge mistake as time goes on. Matthew chapter 15 verse 19 speaks directly to this. It says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. And then the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. Now think about that for a moment. If I were to have asked you, let me just put it on me, if I were to have guessed before I read this verse, I would have said the most deceitful of all things. That's the tongue. Because with the tongue, you know, you can lie. Or maybe even the brain. But look at what the Bible says. The most deceitful of all things is the human heart and desperately wicked. And I love this question that Jeremiah asks. He says, who really knows how bad it is? Then there's this thought that the heart contains all kind of emotions. And who can even tell how depraved it is? Now, I want to be honest with you. I want to highlight the fact that in these two verses, it's talking about the unregenerate heart, the heart that doesn't love Jesus. And that's the heart that's full of all those things that Matthew talked about. But then there is the regenerate heart. That's the heart that loves Jesus, the heart that beats to serve him, the heart that follows hard after him. That's a better heart. That's a better base of decisions, but it's still not a very good one. So we all agree that we shouldn't listen to our heart. So what should we do? I believe that wise people lead their heart. Wise people lead their heart. And here are two ways that we can lead our heart. Number one is I have to guard my heart. To realize that there are always influences and things that would cause me to stumble. And so I have to guard my heart from letting those things enter. We can be doing the right things and those bad influences still come. We use Facebook as a church as a way to communicate with all of you and as a way to, as in Bridge Kids, we use it to communicate with the volunteers. Facebook is a primary tool for us and that's great. But there are times when I'm on Facebook and I'm trying to do the right thing and over in the side, an ad pops up, a very provocative ad. Or, or I'm on Facebook and scrolling through my news feed. Some of my friends that aren't saved are saying all kind of crazy things. So I'm there to do the right thing, but those bad influences are all around us. So we have to guard our heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And then the second thing we do to lead our heart, the first thing is I guard my heart. 
The second thing I do is I set my heart. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. When I was a teenager, uh, I would get calls all the time to go and help people. They knew I was a big guy. They knew that they could call on me. And the calls I would typically get are, Hey, we bought a new refrigerator and we're trying to get it in the house. So I'd get called to do some heavy lifting. Well, one day, my grandfather called me. He said, hey, uh, Andrew, I, I need your help. I'm going to put up a new clothesline in the yard. I want you to come help me dig the holes and stuff. So went over there, dug the holes, and when he came back out, he had gone into the barn to get some stuff. And when he came back out, he said, Andrew, th this hole isn't big enough. This, this hole is just big enough for the pole. We've actually got to have some room around it because we want to set this pole. So we dug around it, we put concrete all in there, mixed it in, and we set that pole, or those two poles. Then, a couple years went by, and my grandma decides, this clothesline would be so good if it were over here. So of course, who gets the call? Go over there. It was 10 times harder to get that pole out because we had to dig all around it. Then you had to lift it up, and it's got all this concrete on the pole because that pole was set. Those poles, excuse me, were set. It was so much harder the second time around because they had been set. The same thing happens when we set our hearts in Christ. So how do we do that? Of course, our daily disciplines, prayer, Bible study, fasting, giving, attending church regularly, all those things. You would think, oh, this is not a big deal. I'll skip one Sunday. Oh, it's not a big deal. I won't, I won't serve at church. But all those things that seem like little things compound, and they work together to set our heart firmly in Christ. And so if we'll do those two things, that will help us to lead our heart and not to listen to it. Now for the second crazy behavior. Crazy people have unrealistic expectations in love. Crazy people have unrealistic expectations in love. I think we get these expectations from all over the place. Songs, magazines, books we read. I think we get it from social media. One of mine and Nicole's favorite dates, well, I'll say my favorite date, is to go grab some takeout, come back, sit on the couch and watch a red box or watch a Netflix movie. I love that. Just being at home, lounging, you're in your comfortable clothes. Now, Nicole, she likes to go, you know, out to eat sometimes and go to nice places. And so all that's well and fine. But social media, sometimes what we do is we, we're doing one of those kind of dates. We're at home. We're, we're in sweatpants watching TV. and Can't even hear the TV because the kids are running around nuts. And you look over at your spout and you look down at Facebook and 
It seems like all your friends are at nice restaurants and they're at concert concerts and they're doing all these cool things that you're like, man, I, I've always wanted to go there. And then about that time you look up and your spouse belches. And what we do is we compare our behind the scenes with somebody else's highlight reel because they don't put it on Facebook if they don't want us to know about it. And so we're comparing our behind the scenes with their highlight reel. I think another way we get unrealistic expectations are movies. So I thought it would be fun this morning. We're going to put a couple pictures from movies up on the screen. And I want you to uh, just say it. If you know the movie, just call it out, okay? So let's do it. Here's the first one. Pretty Woman. Okay, good, good, good. All right, next. Oh, Titanic. Let me tell you something about this picture right here. She's on a door. <laughs> She's floating along. She's fine. She's going to make it. They're in the sea. The ship has just sunk. He is holding on for dear life to this door. Knows he can't get up there and sink the door. So he is freezing. He has known her for a week. You don't think that's unrealistic? I would have already doggy paddled away from that door. You don't have to say you would have too, because I know your spouse is right beside you, but I know we'd have been some doggy paddling people. All right, next one. A notebook. Ugh. Let me tell you something about these movies. These movies are written by professional writers. And they are brought to life by professional actors. It ain't real. So when we watch The Notebook and we're nudging our spouse or we're nudging that person, why can't you be more like that? It ain't real. So what is real? Let's talk about desires this morning. Desires are normal and natural. We cannot help but to have desires. Desires are fine. The problem is when desires turn into expectations. When desires turn into expectations, it will rob a relationship of joy and love and peace. Sorry about that. But desires are fine. I want to be clear that we all have desires. And your desires may be different than mine. And that's fine. But we all have desires for the kind of car we would drive or maybe uh, the house we would live in. Maybe your desire is not that, but it's... I want to get to a certain place in my career. Or I want to make a certain amount of money. Maybe your desire doesn't even have anything to do with that. Maybe it's kids. A certain number of kids you want. Or you're trying for a boy. Or you're trying for a girl. Maybe that's what your heart's desire is. Maybe it's much, much simpler than that. Maybe it's, 
I have a desire to spend the holidays where I've always spent the holidays, and I don't want to go see your family because they're crazy. Maybe those are our desires. Whatever it is, desires are fine. We can work with desires. But any relationship that is based on expectation devolves into a debt-debtor relationship. Any relationship that is based on expectations devolves into a debt-debtor relationship. I've been picking on me and Nicole this morning, so I'll just keep doing that. What if I have a desire for the house to be clean, but it, it turned into an expectation? And so I, I get home from work, and Nicole's beat me home. She really wants to meet this expectation. And, and she's been working full time. She volunteers a lot at the church. She's got a lot of stuff that she does. But she is trying her hardest to meet this expectation. So she gets home and really goes above and beyond. She straightens the whole house. She cooks dinner. She washes the dishes. And I get home, walk in the door. Hey, Nicole. Nicole, come here. Got a problem. Here are three pair of your shoes right by the door. What are they doing here? You know better than this. Now, as I say that, you're like, oh, my goodness. You know that that is not an expectation in my house because I don't have a neck brace on this morning. And it's kind of funny because we're sensationalizing it. You know, oh, it's just a pair of shoes. But here's what happens. When we have expectations and they're not met, oh, she did this, she did this, she did this. But she still, there was some room. She could have done more. It creates a deficiency. And in that, in that deficiency is where arguments and strife and and anger comes in because she's not met my expectations. And so let's say, let's say for the point of this illustration, she had met the expectations. I get home, the house is spotless. Here's what that does. That gets us up to zero. She's not ahead. She just met the expectations. That's not a relationship. That's a business model. Most of you have mortgages. Here is what I know about mortgage companies. They don't write you to tell you thanks. They never write you a thank you note and say, man, you've been paying on this thing for 10 years, never missed a payment, never late. Thank you. They expect it. As a matter of fact, if you get a letter from them, it's because you haven't met expectations it says something like, first notice. <laughs> and then, if you continue to let them down in their expectations, you'll get a second notice. Then maybe a final notice. <laughs> As a matter of fact, if you continue, you may even get a phone call. Not a machine. No, no, no. Somebody, a person will be on the other end. They'll be eager to talk to you because you are not meeting expectations. Now we expect that in the business world. 
but we don't expect that in our relationships. So how do we avoid unrealistic expectations in love? It's not enough to tell me what not to do. Tell me how to do it. Tell me what I should be doing. Number one, we have to constantly examine ourselves to see if we have turned a desire into an expectation. That's not always easy to see. You know the barometer? Ask your significant other. It might be painful, but that is a much more accurate barometer than for you to say, no, I don't think I've done that. And they're over there feeling all the love being sapped out because there's all these expectations. Romans chapter 13 verse 8 says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The thought is real love is debt free. Real love is not based on expectations. Number two, we have to focus on our responsibilities instead of our expectations. We have to focus on our responsibilities instead of our expectations. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, tells us, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Next verse talks to us husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So here's what the Apostle Paul is telling us in this letter to the church at Ephesus. That if I will focus on me, that if I as a husband will focus on my job to love my wife, and if she'll focus on her responsibility to love me and to submit to me and respect me, that we will be so, uh, we'll exert so much energy trying to bless the other one, trying to love the other one, trying to outdo the other one, we won't even have time to think about the stuff that we wanted that maybe is not being met. And if we do have time to think about it, it won't matter because she has done so much else. He's done so much else. So we have to focus on our responsibilities. Here's what I know. There are people here this morning who are like, I've been married for 25 years. Man, I'm single, and this Valentine's Day, I, I hung out with friends. I didn't. So this message, this is awesome for other people, but this doesn't do anything for me. Here's what I would encourage us to do. Let's go back and look at these notes, and let's look at it in relationship to our love with Jesus Christ. We have to think about, do I guard my heart? Do I allow myself to be led by emotions? Man, I came in this morning, and the band was practicing that third song, Grace So Glorious. And I was so excited. I know that song. I love that song. So I'm down there lifting my hands during worship. Man, goosebumps just all up and down my back because I can feel God's presence in this place this morning. I love that. But there are times that I come in here and 
Pastor Jared and the worship team have put just as much thought, just as much prayer in executing these songs and in, in leading us in worship. And I don't feel that. But it's not because God has changed. God promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. God has promised us that he loves us. And so we can't base our relationship with Jesus on our feelings. So we have to guard our heart. And then when we talk about our relationship with Jesus and unrealistic expectations, people come to the church office all the time and they say, well, Pastor Andrew, I can't believe this. I made a deal with God and I told him starting in January I'd start coming to church and he was going to answer my prayer request. And you know it's February and he still hadn't done it. Sometimes we have unrealistic expectations and it has nothing to do with our significant other. I want to close this morning. And this week that means something. Next week, it won't. I want to close with this thought. As I was preparing for this message, I thought, man, God, if you could say anything to us today about love, about our misconceptions in love, about crazy behaviors we have in love, if you could say anything to us, what would you say? I believe God gave me this. That is, love is not measured by feeling you get, but by sacrifice you give. Think about how countercultural that is. In our society, we, we put top priority on the feelings. Oh, when, when I see them, I want those butterflies to be in my stomach. When I kiss them, I want, I want them to take my breath away. But love is not about that feeling. Love's not about a feeling we get, but it's about a sacrifice we give. I want to turn your attention to what I feel like is probably the most recognizable scripture in the whole Bible. John 3.16. Many of you could quote this this morning. It says, For God so loved, his love was so full and, and brimming over, and he loved us so much. He loved us so much that look what he did. He gave. That there is this relationship with love and giving, that if you love, you give. He loved so much that he gave. And look at what he gave. Just like Abel, he gave the best that he had, his absolute best. He gave his one and only son. He did that for us because he loves us so much. And look at the promise here that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So what we're going to do this morning is I want to pray with all of you. Because some of you don't know... Maybe you've never experienced a personal relationship with Jesus before. You've never asked God to come into your heart. And I would submit to you that if you've never done that, you don't know the greatest love that you could ever know. 
So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their head and close their eyes. I'm going to pray. I just want you to repeat after me. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior this morning, I'd just like for you to repeat these words as well. And if you mean business, if you mean what you say, God will meet you right here in this place. And I believe your life will be forever changed. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and my only hope is you. I believe that you died on the cross and bore my penalty. I pray that you would live in my heart all the rest of my days. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.